turn in your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We've been working our way through Hebrews. We're doing that on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. If you miss out a little bit uh, in between us because you weren't here Sunday evenings. And last Sunday evening we talked about God's house. We found that mentioned in chapter 3. And so we discovered that Moses was a servant in the house of God while Jesus was a son in the house of God. And by the way, that house of God is you. All right, you are the house of God, as we discovered in chapter 3. Then we read something interesting. Look back in chapter 3, if you would, with me. Verse 6, it says, But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm unto the end. That great big Bible word, if. You know, that can be a soothing, calming word, and it can also be a very scary word. Sometimes uh, people are scared of it more than they are calmed by it because it mentions that we continue in Christ, and that proves our faith. There's a lot of things that we're going to talk about today, but that is primarily the point is... What is the proof of my faith? How do I know that I'm a Christian? How do I know that I'm really a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? We do that by remaining in Him. We do that by continuing in Him. You say, well, I've been in and out. Well, you need to listen today if you've been in and out. Listen to what the Bible says. It doesn't just mention continuing in verse uh, I'm sorry, in the book of Hebrews, but it mentions continuing in other places. The verses I read this morning from down here had the word continue in them. Also in Colossians chapter 1, if you'll look on your screen with me, it says, Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If Indeed, you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. There's that big word if again. If we continue, if we stay with him. Now, there's two views of what that means. If. One of the views is that I could lose my salvation. If I don't continue, if I don't stay, then I've lost my salvation and I fall away from that. That's a one view, but however, that view seems to contradict other scripture where we are established in God's hand and nothing can take us away from that hand. So we can't really go with that first option of falling away from our salvation. So what else could it mean? Here's another view of that. If, and it means that I've been self-deceived, that I've been deceiving myself about my faith about who I am in Christ, about what I do or what I don't do in this world. It's not talking here about hypocrites. A hypocrite knows he's not saved. A hi hypocrite tries to make you think that he's saved, but he knows within himself that he's not walking with God. He knows that, but he's being a hypocrite about it. That's not what this is referring to today. This is a, referring to someone who believes the things of the Bible. They understand the things of the Bible. They want the things of the Bible. But they just have not applied the things of the Bible to themselves. They're unable to manifest the life of God 
Maybe that's you today. You believe in God. You, you believe the Bible. You've done all the things that you know to do. You've been baptized. You came down and prayed a prayer with the preacher, asking him to help you receive Christ. You did all of that. But yet, in your daily living, you're unable to reproduce Christ. You, you're still bitter. You're still angry. You're still impatient with people. You're still jealous. You're still envious. All of the things that motivate us and all of the things that, that keep us from resting at night, you still have those in your life. You are what the title says. You're living without rest. So God addresses that today for us in, in chapter 4 of Hebrews. And we're going to look at that in great detail. But to get some history, we've got to go back to chapter 3. And so let's stand together and let's read some of chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. Talking about the reality of faith in our life. Verse 7, God illustrates that with the rebellion in the wilderness of the Israelites. Verse 7, just, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Well, that's heavy, isn't it? That's something that we really don't want to be a part of. Let's go on down to verse 16 there in chapter 3. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses... And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned by I'm, was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Let's pray today. Father, bless your word for us in this place. Speak to our heart, Lord, about our relationship with you and who we really are. Father, help us to see reality and truth this morning in our own life and help us to surrender to you totally today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Now who, verses 16, 17, and 18, uh, speak about who he was provoked by and who he was angry with and who did not enter into his rest. Who were those people? Well, according to this, it was almost all of the number of Israel because we know that there was only two men, three actually, that went into the promised land from that first bunch of people that came out of Egypt. Caleb. Joshua, well, maybe just two, Caleb and Joshua. The rest of them died in the wilderness to a lack of obedience because they did not believe. They did not have faith. 
the arrival to the Jordan River to cross into that promised land was the final test for these people. They had come out of Egypt. They had crossed the Red Sea. They had experienced all the miracles of God and done all of those things. And then they came up to the gate and they failed to go in. Why? Well, we say, well, they were scared of the giants. Exactly. They were scared of the giants, and God was the one who would defeat the giants, and therefore they didn't believe God. They had no faith. They had gone through the baptism of the Red Sea, like some of you today have gone through the baptismal waters behind me or in another church. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians. It says here in Colossians 1, 22 and 23. I really think, oh, I didn't put that on the screen. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I want to back up. That really is about Corinthians mentioning that the Israelites coming out of Egypt were baptized into Moses through the sea. And uh, that means they were united with Moses in the departure from Egypt to the promised land. So sometimes you get baptized to signify your you being united with Christ. And you pray a prayer and you hear the word of God and you come up to the promised land. And these people saw it. They knew it was there. They knew it was a land of milk and honey that God was going to provide everything they needed. They knew all of these things. All they had to do was step across that river and it was theirs. The rest of God. The resting place of God. And yet they didn't enter because of their unbelief. So these are the ones that had been protected in the wilderness, been fed in the wilderness. The pillar of fire uh, by night, the pillar of cloud by day protected them and led them along the way. Centuries later, Jesus speaks to these people. Who are these people in Jesus' day? The Israelites, the Pharisees. And he calls them children of Satan. Children of the devil. And the Pharisees throw up their hands and they say, wait a minute. Our father is Abraham. If anybody is a child of God, it's us. Our fathers went through the wilderness and our fathers went into Israel and our fathers did this and our fathers did that. And you call us a father of the devil? And Jesus says, who was it that God died, caused to die in the wilderness? It was your father's. Because they would not believe in God. And here God comes to you and you still refuse to believe in Him being Jesus Christ. So therefore they were children of the devil. And so this verse 16 and 19 tells us that these giants were scaring the people as they came to the river Jordan. They feared the test. They failed the test. They feared the giants. Proving that they really did not have faith. Amen? Proving they did not have faith to go forward as God's people. What happens today? We have giants in our lives. We have anxiety. We have depression. We have bitterness. We have jealousy. We have fear and envy. All of these things keep us up at night. All of these things won't let us rest. God wants you to deal with those giants. All of these things God will deal for you with if you would have faith in Him. He would defeat them for you if you would have faith in Him. So the writer gives us a warning. Now look in verse 12 of chapter 3. 
He says, take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. There's that word if again. That's all over the place in here. We are partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. This is a warning that the writer of Hebrews gives us. Remember I told you the first warning was talking about drifting away. Amen. We don't want to drift away from the word that we've heard. Here's the second warning we find in Hebrews. We do not want to allow our hearts to be hardened against the word that we've heard. And that's exactly what happened to these Israelites, and that's exactly what happened to people today. God warns us against the hardening of our heart, of the things that we hear, the things that we believe, the things that we understand to be true, but we take no action in our life to apply that to me. I understand the Bible. I know what it's telling me to do. I sit here in the pew every Sunday, and I am perfectly full of what Brother Clay is telling me from the Scriptures. I agree with it. I even want it. But I don't put it in my heart. I don't do it. I don't step up and put it into action. I just simply agree with it. That's the process of these Israelites. They came out of Egypt. God delivered them. They were baptized through the Red Sea. They were fed and protected in the wilderness. They came up to the river. All that they had seen and heard, they agreed with. They wanted to go in that land. You want to be saved, but you don't take the truth of God's Word and apply it to your life. You don't put it in your heart. It's all up in your head, but it hasn't made it to your heart. Did you know this, that truth known never did anything? Truth that is known never does anything. It is truth that is done that sets a man free. Amen? Truth that is known only puffs a man up. I can know my Bible from cover to cover. I can read it and study it and memorize it. I could quote you text by the yard. But if I don't apply that truth to my life, it means nothing. Right? I've got to take what it says and put it into my heart and into my life. I have to change the way things are done. I have to allow that change through the Lord Jesus Christ living in me. The writer is making a point that truth not acted upon will actually harden me. If I know it, I believe it, I understand it, I accept it, but I don't do it, it actually hardens my heart against it. Do you understand that? Do you see what happens in men's lives today? We understand Scripture. We want the Scripture. We believe the Scripture. Who doesn't want to be saved? For goodness sake. But if we do not apply that, it begins to harden us against the things that we believe. 
It hardens me against the things that I won't act upon. The writer of Hebrews is warning us. Now he gives us some signs of the people who apply it to their life. Look in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, Therefore, let us fear, lest while a promise remains of entering God's rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard it. The Israelites at the Jordan River had the gospel preached to them just like you do today, seated here in this church. But theirs was not united with faith, and therefore they did not step across that river. They ran in fear. They stayed away from the resting place of God. They saw the land. They understood its potential. They knew it was full of milk and honey. They believed it, but they had no faith to make themselves go in. They had a desire to enter the land, but they had no faith. The gospel has been preached all over this globe. We are in the last days, my friend. Jesus said himself, when the gospel is preached around the world, then the end will come. The gospel has made it around the world. The end is now. The end is near. You need to be serious about these words that God is speaking to you this morning. There is no easy beliefism. All right? You don't just sit at a revival or a church service and the preacher ends up, gives an invitation and you raise your hand and you say, I'm in. I'm in. And that's all that you do. It's not like that in the scripture. You have to commit to him. You have to have a life change in you. There has to be a radical government change in your heart to show that you have Christ in you. You don't just say, I'm in, and stay the way you are, and go back out that door, and go back to your life and do what you do. When you do it, how you want to do it, and where you want to do it. There has to be a change in you. You change the way you think. Let me rephrase that. You don't change the way you think. He changes the way you think. He changes the way you talk. He changes the way you feel about people. He changes the way you live life. A radical government change takes place in your heart. You step off the throne. Christ steps on the throne. Amen? And He starts giving you commands. Now these commands are not to harm you or hurt you. They're just to go against the grain of the way you've lived life. Because His way is the way. His truth is the truth. His life is the life. And so I'm accepting of these changes that He makes because I desire them. Because the way I've lived life has taken me down to the pit of life. To the bottom of the barrel. And I need a way out of that. And so Christ offers that way, and He comes into our heart, He changes everything, and we start obeying, and He starts lifting us up. You know, it's sad that people can't gather that up. It's because people think, I I've got to change. I've got to quit. I've got to stop doing this. I've got to stop going there. But when you know that, and you don't apply the truth of Christ 
in your heart, you find that you can't stop. You can't quit going there. You can't quit doing those things that you've done. Because you're incapable of it. You don't have it in you to stop. He has it in Him to stop through you. You must surrender everything. That's the problem with men today. They're not willing to surrender. They still want control. They still want to have a say in what happens to their life. God's goal for you, my friends, is that you might enter into His rest. What does that mean, preacher? To enter into God's rest. Well, let's go on and find out. Look in verse 3 of chapter 4. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as He has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although His works were finished from the foundation of the world. In other words, this resting place of God was available to man from the beginning of creation. Adam lived in the resting place of God. Adam lived in assurance. Adam lived in comfort. Adam lived in the rest of God. God provided for Adam all that he needed. Adam lived in that. And then Adam sinned. And he was removed from that. So in Adam, we're removed from the resting place of God. But in Christ, we can be restored to that resting place of God. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us this morning. Now, he uses a picture for this resting place. In verses 4, he says, For as he thus said somewhere concerning the seventh day, And God rested on the seventh day from all His works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. So He gives us an example of this resting place. And He calls it the Sabbath day. God worked six days creating the world and the universe and all things. On the seventh day He rested. And that resting place is similar to what God wants you to do. He wants you to cease from your work. He wants you to stop striving. He wants you to stop being jealous and anxious and bitter and hateful and resentful. He wants you to cease from those things and enter into His rest. Now the Sabbath is just a picture here. It's not that we can do that actually on the Sabbath day. Now the Seventh-day Adventists will try to convince you otherwise. Okay? Because they're all about the Sabbath day on Saturday and you and I are worshiping incorrectly. But what they miss, the point is that everything down here is a shadow of what's up there. The resting place of God is not found here as we speak about a day or a worship service, it's about the relationship we have with God every day. I don't enter into God's rest on one hour on a Sunday or a Saturday or all day on a Saturday. I enter into it every day. Continually, I'm in the resting place of God. 
This illustration is simply a picture. Now let's go on. Look in verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, God again fixes a certain day. Today, he says, through David, even a long time after he said it at the very beginning. You see, God says there's a day of rest for all men. Israel had their day and they failed to enter it. David, centuries later, quotes that and says, Today, do not harden your heart against what you hear, but enter into God's rest. Now, centuries after David, you and I are reading this. And God has not done away with that promise to enter that rest, but He calls it today for you. And for me, there is a day that I can enter into this resting place of God. That's what verses 4 through 7 are talking about. Even verse 8 where he says, If Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have spoken of another day after that. There remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Do you see the illustrations? Look at me, church. The writer is giving you illustrations. A Sabbath rest and a day of rest where David mentions that uh, and Joshua gave it to the people, but it continues for you and I. It's not a day or an hour. It is a lifetime of resting in God. Now what does that mean to rest in God? Look in verse 10. He gives you the answer, plain as day. For the one who has entered God's rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his own. When God created the world on the seventh day, he rested from his works. Now God expects you to enter into his rest so that you will cease from working. Hallelujah, retirement is today. That's not what he's talking about. What is he talking about there? If you go back in the life of Peter, and Peter was a, a disciple and a, an apostle eventually, but in Peter's life, he spent three years with Jesus in the Lord's ministry. In all of those three years, Peter was adamant about being upfront and being faithful and being working and serving and following and doing and doing and doing and doing and doing. And Jesus finally told him at the end of the Lord's life, he said to Peter, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are thinking of the things of men and not the things of God. Now, why would he say that? Because Peter, Jesus told Peter, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to die on the cross. And Peter puffs up and he says, no, you're not. You're not going to the cross. I'll protect you, pulling out his knife, probably his sword. I'll protect you. Nobody's taking you to the cross. And that's when he said, get behind me, Satan. You don't understand, Peter. You don't see what I'm about to do. You don't get it. You're thinking of man's way instead of thinking of God's way. 
Peter still didn't understand that. But it was not until Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came upon Peter in that upper room that Peter finally put two and two together and he realized for the first time in his life what Jesus Christ had done for him on the cross. Some men go to their death not ever knowing or understanding what Jesus did for them on that cross. But Peter gathered it up. And you know what happened? There was a change in Peter, a radical change in the life of Peter. And he began to see and understand and preach and tell and go and do because Christ was in him now. Peter ceased from his work. Peter ceased from being an avenger. Peter ceased from being a prosecutor. Peter ceased from being Peter. And he allowed Jesus to dwell in him. Do you understand this, church? It means for... uh, Let me get to my slide. Here we go. To be a Christian means Christ. Christ must be in a Christian. Amen? You can't be a Christian without Christ. And also, God must be in the man. So Christ is in the Christian, and God in the man, now you have the order of life that God is looking for in you. Christ in you, God in you. Now you can stop working. Now you can stop trying to please God. Now you can stop serving because you think you're getting brownie points. Now you can stop coming to church because you think God's keeping a tally sheet on that. Now you can come because Christ is in you. Now you can serve because God is in you. Now you can be a Christian because Christ is in you. You cease from your works. You stop. That's what verse 10 means. Look at it again. For the one who has entered God's rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Amen. What a great day. I can relax. I can begin to trust God. It's really like the beginning of your Christian life. How many of you... Be honest, raise your hand, thought that by doing things, you could get saved. Show me your hand. Anybody? Several hands across there. We thought we could please God enough that He might save us, and so we tried church, or we tried reading our Bible, or we tried giving money, or we tried singing, or we tried praying. All of those things are works to please God. But somewhere along the way, you realized that wasn't working. And you stopped. What did you do in place of that? You trusted in His work on the cross. You put your faith in Him. You begin to trust Him for what He's done, not what you can do. And so you ceased from your works. And you had faith in Christ and the cross, that that was enough to save you. 
you began to enter into the resting place of God. Now, why have you picked those works up again? Why have you drifted away? I'll tell you why. Because you never really had that faith to begin with. Paul writes to the Galatians, you foolish Galatians. How did you get the Spirit of God? By the works of the law or by grace? How did you get saved in here today, Christian? By the works that you did or by trusting in what Christ did? That's how we get saved. We trust in what He did. So let's continue to live like that. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. That's what he's wanting you to see. Today, in this life, you can trust God and start over again. Well, how do I do that, preacher? Let's look in verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall through following the same example of disobedience. Whose example? The Israelites, when they came to the Jordan River. And they wouldn't go across because they didn't have faith. And they disobeyed God. Instead of stepping in that river, they stepped away from it. Many of you have done that. Instead of stepping into service for Christ, you step away from it. Why? Why do you do that? Well, I don't know enough, Brother Clay. I'm not skilled enough to be a teacher. I'm not able to give my time like that. I couldn't go on a mission trip. I couldn't do something like that. You know what you're doing. You're making excuses. You're not having faith and you're stepping away from responsibility instead of stepping into it and the resting place of God. You see that there. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, not to step away from it by following that same example of disobedience. If that radical change has happened in your life, then there's a process that you must go through. Now you, however old you were, I was, 30, I was 31 years old when I was saved. And so for 31 years I had learned a, a process of living and a way of thinking and following and observing and doing. And so the moment I got saved, uh, this radical change of government took place in my life and then Christ sat on my throne and He began to give me commands and I would think in the old process. I would reason out in the old process. I would try to assume and figure things that he was telling me in my old way of thinking. And he kept telling me to scrap that, get rid of it. Any man in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things come. Amen. So I had to start thinking in a new way, in a different way, in a godly way, in a Christ way. And you know what that means? He doesn't give you all the information, that rascal. He just gives you one step at a time. I said, well, Lord, if you'd give me ten steps out, I could go towards that. He says, that's not what we're doing, Clay. We're taking one step at a time. And so by faith, I would go, okay, and I would step one step at a time. By faith, I would step, and by faith, I would step. And before I realized it, I was at the tenth step. And I began to trust Him more and more. And I began to throw away my old way of thinking. And I just began to trust what He was telling me. And go where He led me. And say what He told me to say. 
and do what He told me to do. That's the resting place of God. I'm not working. I'm not responsible. I'm not obligated. He is. All I have to do is have faith in Him. Do you have that? Do you trust Him like that? That's what He's talking about this morning. Now, how do I get that faith? I get it by a certain way. I want you to look in verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active. How do I get that faith? Through the Word of God. Through what I read, through what I hear from a pulpit, through what I hear from a radio preacher, from, through what I hear or see on a television preacher, the ones we can trust, of course, but who I read and hear and understand the gospel, I see it through those men. And you know what that Word of God does? It begins to strip away the false things out of my life. I'll never forget this. When I, when I was saved, I, I felt like there was so much negativity that flowed out of my life. I felt empty. I, 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 I didn't know what to do. And you know what? My preacher told me and Gail, be in that church every time the doors are open. And so we did. Every time they would open those back doors of that church, well, the front doors, whatever, I would go in. And you know what? God was putting positive in place of the negative. And so I didn't feel empty anymore. The negative was flowing out of me. All the bad things in my life, the things I used to do and loved doing and enjoyed doing, but they were harmful and hateful to me, they flowed away from me, and God began to fill me with positive things. The Word of God is living and active. Amen? It will strip away the false from your life. It will expose you. It will back you into a corner. It will remove all of your excuses. It will tear down your walls of defense. It will worm its way right up to your heart. That's what God's Word does. And He opens it. And He reveals everything in it to Himself. Now you may not like that. I certainly struggled with it. But after I realized that He was doing it for my good, I was at peace with it. He got in me and opened me and He revealed things to me that I didn't even know about myself, but they were in me. God exposes us. Do you remember Adam and Eve when they sinned? What did they do? The Bible says God came walking in the cool of the garden that day and He said, Adam, where are you? And what was Adam doing? He was hiding. Why was he hiding? Because he had sinned. And he tried to cover himself with fig leaves. And God told him, that ain't going to work. Come here, Adam. And Adam had to come out from hiding and stand before God. And God took those fig leaves off of Adam and Eve. And there they stood, naked, exposed before God. With nothing Nothing between them and God. That's what His Word will do to you. It will expose you. And it will drive you to a place where you have nothing to stand with before God. You just stand there. Well, who's going to make the next move? You are by this. And you give Him your heart. And He's doing all of that 
so that he can bring you into rest. He's not wanting to hurt you. He's not wanting to harm you. He wants to bring you in. But he can't do it until you're exposed. Until you have nothing to bring him. Nothing to offer him. Nothing to bring him. Just you and God alone. Look what verse 13 says. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. You're here today and you know you haven't continued. Guess what? He knows that. That's why you're here. He's calling you out today. Today, you can have rest. Today, you can have faith. To trust God and what He did for you and stop trusting what you're doing for you. Can you do that? Man, it's a big decision. It's a life-changing decision, but it is the only decision there is to make. If you don't make that decision, you will go into hell with an undecided heart because you chose not to follow God in faith. And step across that river and find the resting place of God. Won't you do that today? Won't you trust Him? Won't you come home to Him? Believe and trust and have faith. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Lord, the Hebrews is a great book and it brings out so many things to us. And one of them today is a warning that we need not to be hardened by what we hear but we need to be softened by it. I pray you speak to the hearts of everyone that's in this room. And Father, that someone today would hear your call. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.